0: Our second reading this evening comes from Ephesians, chapter 6, starting at verse 10 and reading through to verse 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains." Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Titius, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Thanks be to God.
1: Probably a couple of years ago now, Sue spent some time researching our respective family trees, digging up documents from the past. One of the documents she found is the army form recording the enlistment of my grandfather, William Alfred Carter, into the East Surrey Regiment. The form is signed and dated, but the year has been crossed out. That's because he lied about his age, claiming that he was 17 years and 10 months old, whereas in reality he was only 16. We can date the form because with bureaucratic precision someone has confirmed his enlistment by scribbling army, 30th of October 1900 on the form. He went on to serve in the First World War and was one of the old contemptibles, as those who served in the range of enemy artillery in France and Flanders for the first four months of the war became known. I mention him because there's a very real sense in which, when you become a Christian, you enlist, you sign up in the service of Jesus Christ, you sign up for combat duty. Though, as Paul makes clear, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's some pretty powerful opposition. And as Christians, we are all called to serve on the front line and to fight for the kingdom of God. And that is about liberating people from an oppressive regime which enslaves them. It traps them in fear. In sin, in anger, in futility, in selfishness, in loneliness, in death, darkness, and despair. We don't fight for territory, we fight for people's lives and for their salvation. And make no mistake, if you are living for Jesus, there will be periods when it feels like every day is going into battle, and you will need courage and determination. But even more than that, you will need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, as Paul puts it. As Paddy Best puts it in his commentary, believers occupy advanced outposts which are always in danger of being overrun by the forces of the devil. They must stand firm as opposed to running away. Now in some parts of this country... In the inner city or on some estates, you only need to step outside your front door to see you are living in a spiritual war zone. Horsham doesn't feel much like that. But don't make the mistake of thinking that because we live in leafy Horsham, none of this applies to us. We too are engaged in a battle. We too are on the front line, even if it is a bit more comfortable than some other parts of the world but we still run up against these spiritual powers and they're still doing their best to undermine what we do. The devil has a variety of weapons at his disposal. Paul refers to his schemes or stratagems, a vast array of crafty and deceptive ploys, as they've been described. And what's included in these things? Well, the list is potentially endless. But we think of things like deception, strife, distress, making stupid mistakes, alcoholic intemperance, drugs, sexual promiscuity, violence, anger, hatred, flattery, injustice and fear, dishonesty, arrogance, idolatry, heresy, false prophets, pretended signs and wonders, evil thoughts, greed, lust, despair, doubt, depression, illness, isolation, bitterness, Poverty, self-interest, materialism, hedonism, complacency, all of these things are things that impact our lives at various points in various ways. The list goes on and on and on. That is why you need the whole armour. Because in ordinary, everyday life, we are called to take a stand for what is good and what is right against all the things that encourage us to compromise or call us somehow to let the side down. And how does what we do here on a Sunday fit in to all of that? Well, the point of coming here Sunday by Sunday is to be renewed and strengthened and in a sense recommissioned so that we can all go out and give our best in terms of living for Jesus the following week. This is kind of the supply depot where we gather the spiritual resources we need to go out and fight the good fight to live 100% for Jesus Monday to Saturday, the rest of the time. This is where we are renewed and replenished in our spiritual resources. And the worship and the teaching and the fellowship and the mutual support that take place here Sunday by Sunday and the midweek meetings that we have, these are vital channels of supply through which God resources and equips his people for the weekly struggle. This is the place where we get what we need The weapons, the resources, the energy, the strength to fight the good fight. And because church plays that vital role, and the spiritual powers know that the church plays that vital role, there can be times when it feels as if the church itself is under a bit of attack. We need to recognise that the devil's principal aim is to shatter people's Christian existence. That is his agenda and his goal. And if he can do that by undermining the church, creating disillusionment with the church, then he can disable people's capacity and willingness to live their lives for Christ. So all the time we can be aware that actually, there will be occasions when we ourselves feel a bit oppressed and under attack here, because if he can damage our Christian faith by creating a sense of disillusionment with church, then that means he's achieving his goal. One of the ways in which he can do that is just through poor or just plain bad teaching. Another way is to turn people against each other by creating a climate of mistrust, dishonesty, deception or deceit. Paul warns against this in Ephesians 4.14 and the effects can be devastating. As Best truly observes in his commentary again, more churches have been broken up or debilitated through the lack of honest and loving conduct than by heretical teaching. So if you find sometimes that other people are getting at you and you feel tempted to retaliate, just remember what is going on here behind the scenes at a spiritual level. Because when we do the natural thing and we succumb to anger rather than choosing the costly path of forgiveness, when we respond as ordinary human beings and not as followers of Jesus Christ, we play into the devil's hands. And if we as Christians end up fighting each other, then he is the only one who wins in the end. So when we're up against it, we need to put on the whole armour of God so that we can stand our ground as we carry out God's orders and still be standing at the end of really trying and difficult days when everything around us seems to be going wrong. Put on the armour of God. Because when you become a Christian... You enlisted as a soldier of Jesus Christ, called to wrestle, fight and pray, to tread all the powers of darkness down and win the well-fought day, as Charles Wesley's hymn puts it so well and so memorably. So what is the armour and what's it mean to wear it? What are the qualities we're called to put on as we get dressed in the morning? Because that's how it works. You you put on your clothes, you put on your armour. What do I need to live today successfully for Jesus? All the armour described are the bits and pieces that a heavily armed Roman soldier might put on. And the first piece of armour is described as the the belt of truth. It's probably a misleading term to call it a belt, because it's the leather covering that would be worn to kind of protect the stomach and the vital organs that are here give you flexibility of movement and a bit of freedom, but at the same time a degree of protection. The belt, the apron, the covering of truth. Because we are called to be people of truth and honesty and integrity. So one of the first ways in which we choose which side we're going to be on because Jesus identifies the devil as being the father of lies. So when we compromise on the truth... we kind of cross the line a little bit and are in danger of changing sides. God is truth. He's given us the spirit of truth. When we compromise on speaking the truth, we expose our vulnerable underbelly to attack. Let's be honest. The truth can be painful and difficult sometimes to speak, sometimes to hear, particularly if it's about ourselves. But church, when it works should be a place where people can be real, can be accepted for who they are, be honest about how they feel, be honest about the difficulties that they encounter. This should be a place where there should be someone that you can go to and really be open about where you're at and what you're going through, knowing that they will hold the trust that you have placed in them knowing that they will pray for you and be there for you. You will know the truth, said Jesus, and the truth will set you free. Because when we have that degree of honesty about ourselves, that provides a firm basis on which our lives can be sorted out. So honesty in all that you say, at work, here, be truthful, put the belt of truth on. Take a stand for God and don't compromise that in any way. The next item of armour is the breastplate of righteousness which covers the chest and as such it protects the heart. And as Jesus said, the heart is the origin of so much that is sinful and wrong in our lives. Out of the heart come... Evil thoughts, vulgar deeds, stealing, murder, unfaithfulness in marriage, greed, meanness, deceit, indecency, envy, insults, pride and foolishness. Where do these things come from? They come from here. They come from inside us. And when we get it wrong, as we always do from time to time, the devil exploits that advantage to condemn us as worthless failures who will never amount to anything because guilt is one of the most powerful weapons he has in his arsenal. you failed. Call yourself a Christian. How could you possibly do that? You're not worth anything at all. That is why as part of our armour, God supplies us with the breastplate of his righteousness, because our sin is covered by God's righteousness. It's a fundamental part of the gospel. And when we fail, we are not drummed out of the regiment with a dishonorable discharge. God lifts us to our feet. He forgives our sin, tells us to get back and resume our place in the ranks. Because even when you fail, God still wants you on His side. And the breastplate of righteousness symbolizes that. But if, as is so often the case, we are defined by what we wear, then let the breastplate of righteousness define you as a person. Who you are and how you live. Because you wear the armour, stand up for what is right. Do the right thing when you're put on the spot. When temptation comes, say, actually, no, I'm wearing the breastplate of righteousness. And this is how I'm going to live my life today. Be people of truth. Be people who who recognise that God has put you right with himself. And allow that to determine how you live. And for footwear, for footwear we have the readiness that comes from the gospel, the good news of peace. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel, the good news of peace it says in Isaiah 52, verse 7. The gospel is the reason we are on the march. Paradoxically, we are an army whose mission it is to bring peace to God's world. Not at the point of a sword or the barrel of a gun, but by the gospel of reconciliation, we are sent to proclaim the good news of peace. That God in Christ does not hold our sins against us. But through Christ, anyone can have peace with God. It's good news, and it's worth breaking camp to get the message out there. So we are told to have our feet shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel that calls us to be ready, to be prepared. To do what? To initiate that conversation. To reach out to someone. To make the first move to cross the barrier to get the process of peacemaking started to make the phone call or send the email or letter to be ready to engage with someone else for the sake of Jesus with the gospel of peace and that might be being the first to say sorry That might be being the first to renew contact with someone you've lost touch with. Or it might be the first actually to find a way of of coming alongside someone to share the good news of Jesus with them. And actually find ways of bringing his peace into their lives. But be ready, look for the opportunities to say something for Christ. That's about having our feet shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We need to be praying the prayer of St Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. Where there's sadness, joy. We're called to be ready to do that, to look for opportunities to do that, to put our boots on and be prepared to go where God sends us this week. Remember one of our lecturers at college saying for a time he was based in an RAF regiment that achieved absolutely nothing whatsoever. He said it was all designed to perpetuate what the the regiment did and they all looked kind of laughed for each other but in terms of output there was nothing going on whatsoever. Somehow it just existed to support itself. And there's a danger the church can do that a little bit sometimes. We're just there to keep, keep doing what we're doing. But God calls us to be ambassadors of peace, to break camp, to go out with the gospel of peace and make an impact on the world for his his sake. Then there is the shield of faith with which you can quench all the flaming arrows the devil shoots at you. Your faith is your protection. And you need faith because when you withstand the devil's attacks, you do so in God's strength and power, by God's grace and enabling. You take your stand on God's truth, on God's righteousness, on God's gospel, on God's salvation, on God's word. You take your stand because you know what you believe. And what you believe is worth standing up for. It's worth fighting for. In some parts of the world, the Christian faith is even worth dying for. How does Peter put it? Through faith, we are shielded by God's power, until the coming salvation. When life gets tough, hang on in there. Do not abandon your faith, because as God has promised, he'll be with you. And he will keep you safe through whatever happens. Over the years, so many people have said to me, as they've gone through unimaginable situations, I don't know how I would have coped without my faith. In times of absolute desperation and trial, their faith has been their shield. So make sure you hang on to yours when times of trouble come. Then there is the helmet of salvation. Actually, time and again in the Old Testament, the word used for salvation here is used in a military context to mean victory. In this context, to put on the helmet of salvation means, remember, you are on the winning side. We are not a defeated army. We are not fighting a losing battle. The outcome is secure. Ultimately, the devil is a defeated foe. So let that knowledge give you all the confidence you need as you go into battle on the daily basis. Your ultimate salvation is assured because it doesn't depend on you Your salvation was secured on the basis of what Christ has already done for you on the cross because it was there that he won the decisive victory over the powers of darkness. His death and resurrection have already secured the triumph of God and the ultimate defeat of evil. In the name of Jesus, we really do have the victory. The devil is on the back foot. So put on the helmet of salvation and remember, actually, that you are on the winning side, and let that give you the confidence that you need. Then, the last piece of armour is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You read the stories of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, and you see that each time he's tempted, he answers by quoting Scripture. This is the Word of truth, this is the promise of righteousness. This is the gospel of peace. This is the basis for our faith. This is the assurance of salvation. All these things, everything you need to know about God's armour is found in these pages. So don't neglect them. What general would think of sending unarmed soldiers into a conflict? It's unthinkable, you just wouldn't do it. Can you imagine a Roman soldier being happy to be told, he'd be going into battle, you'll be alright because you have a full suit of armour, but we're not giving you any weapons. You're not going to feel too safe. However well protected he might be without his armour, without a weapon he's never going to win the fight. When you go out to fight the good fight this week, don't forget to take your sword with you. The Word of God, the Scriptures. I don't mean carrying the Bible with you as a kind of talisman, but take the Word of God with you in here or in here. Take the time to read it, to listen to it, to meditate on it, to pray about it. It is a vital resource if you are going to live this week successfully for Jesus. Take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and let it be on your lips in prayer, when you're speaking to other people. Each of us can only wear our own armour. No one else can wear it on our behalf. It's down to you, as you get dressed in the morning, to put on these qualities at the start of of the day. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. The shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. The shield of faith, the helmet of victory, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Lord, may these qualities exemplify my life today. May these be the values that I live by. In difficult situations, may these be the resources that I draw on without compromise. That I'm standing for what is good and what is right in a world that's going wrong. Yet when you sally out to face the day, you do not do so alone because there will be people praying for you as you should be praying for them. How does Paul end this passage? Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Does it matter how you pray? No, it doesn't with all kinds of prayers and requests. There's no right or wrong way of praying. The only wrong thing to do is not to pray at all. So with this in mind, Paul says, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. This is where Paul's focus shifts from each individual soldier putting on their own armour to the idea that each individual soldier belongs to an army which stands and fights together. And we are called to support each other and cover each other's backs and defend each other as we pray for one another. That's the advantage of something like a prayer triplet where you can have two or three people and you are covering each other in prayer in the course of that week. You know that you are not alone because someone else is praying for you and you can be praying for somebody else and that is a source of strength. And if you haven't got that kind of relationship where you have other, other people who will pray for you, ask. Go to the prayer team. Get to know someone in church and say, will you pray for me this week because I'm up against this and I will pray for you because it's one of the ways in which we support each other when we go into difficult situations. Again, Best puts it so well in his commentary, the saints, Paul, and those bidden to pray for them are all involved in the same conflict with the powers. They must stand together And pray together, or they will fall together. When they stand together, the church is sustained. So pray for each other. Pray that we'd all be able to live our lives in truth and in righteousness. Pray that we'd have the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Pray that we'd have the protection of the shield of faith, the helmet of victory, the sword of the Spirit, pray that we'd be equipped to go out and live our lives for Jesus and be lights in a dark world because that's our calling and that's our privilege. So can I invite us to stand and let's say together the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray for each other as we say these words. Because so often we pray this prayer and we think, I'm praying it for me. Tonight Let's pray it for each other, because it's in the plural. And so we pray for each other and commend each other to the grace of God as we say these words together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Lord, where your kingdom is present, love reigns. Peace is found. Mercy prevails. And it's a kingdom built not with bricks and mortar, but by prayer and actions of sacrificial love. It's a kingdom whose foundation, head and cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Lord, thy kingdom come in our lives. Lord, give us your strength to sustain us in your work. And send us out to fulfil your mission, to to reach the poor, the overlooked and the lost, to rescue people in your name from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into your kingdom of light. So Lord, help us to live and work and pray together for the coming of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.